Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So we've been making comments for 5 years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Supriya. Yes, Andre? So nice to have you back here. Thank you for having me. We actually haven't had a face-to-face discussion since you were on the Barbaric Cultural Practices episode. I, I know, it's true. That. Des has been hogging all my FaceTime, man. Des has just taken up all the FaceTime with you, and I'm not happy about that. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm happy you're here now. I'm glad to be here, too, especially because this topic is near and dear to my heart. Mine, too, because I value my privacy, and apparently some of our intelligence organizations have been getting themselves in hot water. Yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're sharing things that they shouldn't share, and there's been a bunch of breaches, or a couple of breaches, or some breach. I thought we were supposed to be better than this. Thankfully, we've got Amanda Connolly, who is a national security reporter for iPolitics, to break this all down for us because Andre, Lord knows I can't do it. I am so happy that she's here because I can't make heads or tails of it when I actually watch this stuff on the news. So I'm really glad we've got somebody who can explain it for us in simple terms. I'm Andre Demise. I'm Supriya Devetti. And this is Canada Land Cons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is sponsored by Giftogram. Andre, have you ever used this app? Yes, and it's amazing! I actually got somebody a scarf. I ordered a scarf on Giftogram. It was actually like this really cool burgundy scarf. And it was so painless. Like I simply went to the app and I made a couple of taps and I said, this is who I'm getting it for. And it actually showed up in three to five business days. I didn't even have to enter address or nothing. I just simply tapped, put in my credit card information and boom. Yeah, see, that, that's what I actually love most about the app is that you don't need addresses because let's face it, 
nobody nowadays has a Rolodex or an address book. We, we don't know people's addresses. And that is the most awkward conversation. Like, hey, uh, so I just need to know your address. Why? No reason at all. Yeah, exactly. This way, with Giftogram, you just click on the person in your contacts who you want to send the gift to. Chances are you have their email or phone number. And basically, it's just essentially sending a text, and then Giftogram takes all the logistics from there. Okay, and here's another great thing. Giftogram actually curates the gifts for you. Valentine's Day is coming up. Check out the app. Go into the For Her or For Him section and have a look at what they have to offer. Yeah, like I'm in the For Him section right now and I gotta say, there are a bunch of gifts on here that are pretty cool. You got these ice cube molds for the uh, Scotch or Rye drinker in your life. You got a bunch of dress socks here that look quite nice. There's nothing worse, gentlemen, than wearing white sports socks. White with, uh, sports socks with your suit. Stop yeah, this madness. That's gotta go. For the hunter-gatherer in your life, there's a folding pocket knife on here, which looks pretty nifty. I'm actually scrolling through it right now and I'm checking out this Marc Jacobs nail polish in Lola. This actually looks so hot. Get on Giftogram. It's available on iPhone and Android. If you download it now, they'll give you $20 towards your first gift. All you need to do is use the gift code CANADALAND. That's gift code CANADALAND for $20 towards your first gift. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Amanda, since the Snowden revelations, we know that the government has collected some information about us. We know that they partner with other countries on sharing intelligence and that this is to be expected to some degree. But what exactly did we learn in this report that just came out? There are two reports that came out, and I think the one that you're referring to, first of all, here is the report from the Communications Security Establishment. That's Canada's, in a sense, our our foreign communications body that monitors communications intelligence and things like that that are happening abroad. So what we learned from the report that came out from their commissioner on Friday is that the CSC has essentially been collecting on, on a periphery information about Canadians, or they had collected information about Canadians in the form of metadata. I've been hearing this word a lot, metadata. What is metadata? Basically how we refer to it is kind of data about data. So it's not the communication itself. It could be things like the timing of a phone call, how long it lasts, at what time it started and ended, what the phone number was that made and received the call, where it came from in terms of, you know, like a geographic location, an IP address, things like that. So it's basically all of the information that somebody would use to route or track the call beyond what was actually said during the call itself. That's what the CSE has a a mandate to collect. They're allowed to do that. Not about Canadians, though, which is where the issue was with this report, is that they had that information about Canadians, and they didn't scrub that from their database, basically, before they sent it on to our partners. So, Who are our partners? So these are the five eyes. This is uh, Canada, the United States, Britain, New Zealand, and Australia. So we're part of, basically, a spying I guess an an arrangement or a partnership, you could call it, where we agree not to spy on each other's countries, but we all do share intelligence about our kind of joint efforts in the name of kind of a a common security interest, I I suppose you could say. So now, Amanda, if I'm the UK or I'm Australia, would it be kosher then under this agreement to spy on Canadians and then share that info with the Canadian government? Is that a way to loop around it in terms of not, you know, spying on your own citizens? Or is that also like something that wouldn't be done? So, I mean, based on this is kind of where the question comes in with regards to what happened with this data here is the UK, for example, would not 
technically be supposed to spy on Canadian citizens or be tracking kind of what we were doing. The complication with that could be, for example, if they were tracking their own citizens and they came across Canadians in, in a periphery. And that's kind of how we came across the data on our own Canadians uh, this time. So we, the ho- so like the whole- if, I, if I called up a relative in England, for example, then if they were tracking that conversation, then they might actually pick up my conversation with them. There you go. Exactly. They wouldn't necessarily look at you and say, OK, the Brits are saying, I want to track down this person in Canada who's a Canadian and we want to know what they're saying. They may, however, stumble across information or things like that while they're tracking British citizens and, and their own people. So that's kind of the, the issue here. And, and of course, you know, we, we, we had an assurance from Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan. He was asked, you know, if our allies have this information about Canadians, the, the metadata, um, w- would they be able to piece together information about who these people are, about kind of put together a profile, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, in terms of trying to interpret and understand the information that they accidentally were given. He was a little, a little bit vague on this, basically saying that, that our partners wouldn't take advantage of an honest mistake. And that's kind of what part of the concern here boils down to is, can we trust that they wouldn't use that information against us that we inadvertently provided because we are allies? And that's kind of the uncertainty here is we, we don't really know for sure that they wouldn't, but they're saying that they would not. So Okay, so... This is kind of worrying me. Should I be scared? Should I be wearing a tinfoil hat right now? <laughs> it's easy to kind of hear this stuff and, and wonder, you know, whether you should be concerned. It sounds kind of scary, you know, the, the government and a spying partnership having information like this. The thing to keep in mind, though, is that there are a lot of different ways that your metadata is already used and collected over the course of your everyday activities, for example. So uh, phone companies, internet companies, they all use metadata to kind of analyze their users' behavior. So it's not something that only the, the spy agencies are using. This is really a part of kind of our daily online activity or our, our online fingerprints, I guess you could say. So it's it's not like the information that they have isn't already out there. It probably is. You know, if, if you're on the internet and you're coming across, for example, say you're taking part in a jihadist chat forum kind of thing, your internet provider is probably already going to have your metadata surrounding, you know, how long you're engaged in that chat for, what the website is, things of that nature. So the fact that the spy agency may or may not have it, I think is kind of a, a reference point to look to there is, is keep that context in mind that this is not the only body that probably has that information about us. We give that away through our online activities all the time. Well, I'm just joking when I talk about, you know, some of the stuff I need to hide. But I do actually write about, for example, uh, race, racism, white supremacy, and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. I do end up on a lot of hate-based websites. Mm. So if I'm pouring through some of that stuff just to understand what I'm writing about a little bit better, is that something that's going to, let's say, set off alarm bells somewhere in Ottawa? I would hesitate to say yes to that question, just just kind of in, in the framework that, again, this isn't necessarily them giving information about a specific person. So the information that was passed along here really is, it's not a profile in and of itself. It doesn't identify a person in and of itself. The question is is whether our allies are able to piece together bits and pieces on their, their own. So the thing with this kind of information sharing is there's always going to be a risk that someone is able to kind of go beyond what you've given them either uh, intentionally or unintentionally, as is the case here, and use that in a way that maybe we wouldn't want them to. That's kind of part of an intelligence sharing and information sharing in this day and age. But I, I again, I, I would be very, very kind of hesitant to blow this out of proportion in, in a certain way. There are bigger issues here, I think, and the kind of scary aspects of the first reaction here that, that you can kind of have to talk about, about metadata and things like that is, isn't the first fear that would jump to mind for me. But how do we know it's not being shared, though, necessarily? I guess we just assume that it's not because 
it's wouldn't be of any value to the government? Well, that's the thing. We, we don't have a guarantee that it's not being shared. And that's, you know, we, we were trying to get answers about that. So the CSC held their first ever technical briefing when this report came out. That was kind of the, the first flag for us initially that this was a, this was a big story wait, wait, to hold, follow. Wait, hold on, hold on. That was the first technical briefing they've ever had? In history. They've never held a technical briefing ever before for journalists. So we kind of got a press release about this happening and we all go, okay, something is happening Something's here. up. Something's yeah. up. So that was kind of the, the first alarm bell that went off here. But, you know, during that briefing, and it was, it was with some senior officials from the CSC who we aren't allowed to name. We can't name them. We, we were trying to get answers, you know, it's in, in regards of how many Canadians does this involve? Do you know how many people's information was shared here? We couldn't get exact answers on that. So we really don't know how big of a, not a breach, but a glitch this was in terms of how many people's information was inadvertently collected and, and shared. And again, we don't really have an idea of whether the five eyes that we have shared this information to could either on purpose or accidentally share it with other allies of their own, for example, if, if the U.S., let's just say, for example, has partnerships with, with Lebanon or Jordan or any pick any other country in the world, really, is there a situation where that information could be passed on? And we haven't been able to really get an answer to that yet beyond just the assurance from the defense minister that, you know, we have a strong agreement in place and they wouldn't take advantage of an honest mistake. We don't know for sure that that's the case. So... The information that is not supposed to be collected about Canadians was collected about Canadians. Mm -hmm. It was not supposed to be shared with other communities. It was shared with other communities. And now we're just supposed to trust that organizations and countries that may have an interest in putting this data to use are going to say, well, no, no, honest mistake. We're actually not going to use that. What sort of guarantee do I have for that? Is there anything beyond a gentleman's agreement, I guess? Like, do we have anything in writing? Is there any legislation? Is there any treaties that we've signed to this effect? Or is it all kind of backdoor handshake, wink, wink? Just a a wink and a handshake. And I'm sorry, guys, honest mistake. That really is what what it boils down to is at this point in time, there are still so many questions that we don't know in terms of just what will be done with this information that was accidentally shared. We know here in Canada, obviously, that the CSC, as well as, of course, CSIS, they are subject to regulations like the Privacy Act, like the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and things like that, that kind of put a restriction on what they can actually do with our our information once they have it. We don't know the same thing about our allies in terms of how they would use our information beyond their word that they won't. So again, this is kind of the the challenge, I guess, of of modern metadata collection and and these kind of intelligence partnerships is there is a certain element of of trust that goes into that. And beyond that, I mean, it's... you, you kind of have to wonder a, a little bit about what, just what, what will be done with that, yeah. Just a quick question. How was this information collected in the first place? Again, this is something that the, the CSC officials were, were a little bit hesitant to kind of give us clear indications of. We don't know the exact circumstances beyond the fact that their mandate allows them to collect what's called foreign signals intelligence. So basically, data about communications happening abroad that could affect Canada, basically is what that boils down to. And during the course of that, they came across information about Canadians that they should have deleted and then did not. That's totally legal. They're allowed to do that. That's part of their mandate under the National Defense Act. And they have a clear ministerial directive from 2011 that lets them look for metadata as part of their intelligence collections activities. So them having it in general is fine. But again, they aren't supposed to have it about Canadians. And that's what they came across and in the case that they do have it, they're supposed to delete it. And that's where the glitch came in is that they didn't. And that, that's kind of got them in impossible violation of the law. We listened to some of the press conferences that, that happened around this, and we're hoping you can help us make a little bit more sense of it. Um, here's a reporter asking a question to our defense minister, Harjit Sajjan. What exactly have you stopped sharing? 
Stop Stop sharing metadata. What kind of metadata? Yes, what the, exactly? that type of, of metadata that the uh, that was briefed in the technical brief there, um, because of the software deficiencies, that portion has been ceased uh, since that time, and will not be reactivated until um, have the uh, assurance that the uh, safeguard of uh, that privacy uh, will, will be kept. Care to give us some of your expertise on that? Yeah. So I mean, I guess the. The thing that I would keep in mind is that this isn't the first time that the CSC has suspended their metadata sharing program. Uh, it happened in 2008 as well after a, uh, a review by their their commissioner as well that found that there, there were kind of policy gaps or significant policy gaps that needed to be addressed. And that actually prompted them to make untold policy changes. We don't really know exactly what those were, except that this kind of suspension has happened before and, and they, they had to fix it. Okay, this is really starting to freak me out because it seems like Okay, we made some mistakes. We're not going to tell you what those mistakes are, but don't worry, we're going to fix them. <laughs> and then they supposedly fix the mistakes. They don't tell us these are what we fixed. These are the mistakes that we made and here's how we fix them. But mm. it's all good. We're not going to have this problem again. And then we have the problem again. We're not going to tell you how many Canadians were spied on. We're not going to tell you exactly what was the problem here. Just don't worry about it. Trust us. We're going to fix it. How are we supposed to operate that way in relation to our government? This is really the challenge. We've heard this a lot from the U.S. and we haven't had this kind of same level of discussion, I think, about metadata here in Canada as the U.S. has had around the NSA, particularly in light of the Snowden revelations. It hasn't really hit home in the same way north of the border here. So maybe this is the time that we will have those discussions. But I think in, in the political context as well, it's a little bit challenging, too, because you, you have a government coming in that does or it did at least run on, on a promise to at least strengthen oversight of national security in, in terms of creating a parliamentarian uh, committee that would kind of overview these activities and, and that kind of thing. So the, it's kind of part of this broader discussion right now about how do you ensure accountability of the agencies that are tasked with our national security and that do have to kind of balance out this question between privacy and, and the broader social interest. And I think what we're seeing now and, and what we saw during the, the election campaign is the seeds of that more fulsome discussion about what the role of oversight is here and kind of what the proper limits need to be on this kind of intelligence collection. How have the opposition parties reacted to this? There's been very little, surprisingly little response, I guess you could say, in a way, but also at the same time, it's not surprising. So when you look at the time frame of this, so the glitch that resulted in the metadata being shared happened in late 2013. It was discovered and the, the sharing of metadata was stopped in about early 2014, former Defense Minister Rob Nicholson, who was of course part of the former Conservative government, he went before the House Defense Committee in April 2014 and told them that the CSC's activities were all legal, that he wasn't aware of any rule breaking, any violations of the law with regard to the metadata program. Now, the reason I think that we haven't seen a lot of reaction from the Conservative Party in particular, uh, you know, especially in question period over the past two days, it didn't come up once. They're not going to press the current government on this because it looks bad on them. Now, with the NDP, we haven't heard a lot from them. It's, it's come up a couple of times. So NDP's public safety critic, Randall Garrison, did put out a press release on Thursday basically saying they find the reports of these glitches in the information sharing very concerning. And of course, the NDP were very keen to tie it back to Bill C-51, which it's it's not related to at all. This happened before C-51 even came into play. But of course, their basis is very strongly uh, against C-51. That's the kind of controversial anti-terrorism legislation that came in over the summer. Now, they want to push that angle, but you're not going to see them want to give the current government an opportunity to look good, like they're coming in on top of the problem and ahead of it and really handling it well, which is why we haven't heard them, I, I think, really press the issue much as well. So they're going to push more on the C-51 angle and the broader kind of 
privacy protection of Canadians than they will actually on the the kind of responsibility angle here because it's not the current government's fault. They're kind of coming in here and having to problem manage and, and kind of get ahead of the communications here. Did the report that came out, did it suggest any ways to go about preventing this from happening again? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned earlier the 2011 ministerial directive, and that kind of is one of the things that gives CSIS, I guess, a rough idea of, of what their responsibilities are in terms of how they have to protect this metadata once they collect it, especially if they come across Canadians' uh, data inadvertently. So one of the recommendations that the CSC commissioner made in his report was that the CSC needs a new and a clearer directive that explicitly spells out what their responsibilities are, what steps they need to take if they come across this kind of metadata about Canadians to prevent this from happening again. Again. And so we we don't really have a, a lot of, I guess, information right now about what his specific concerns were. Of course, these reports are, are fairly broadly worded, so they can be released publicly, uh, which which does kind of raise a lot of questions about um, what policy could change and, and things like that. So that's kind of the, the clearest recommend, recommendation that's come out of this, is that there has to be that new directive clearly spelling out the responsibilities of the agency. The other thing that I think we're going to see going forward here is this is going to be framed more into the discussion of the creation of a pan-parliamentarian committee that, that oversees national security agencies. So this is kind of the, the idea that you have someone beyond um, after-the-fact review, which essentially is what the, the CSE commissioner does. They review things after they've already happened. The idea behind an all-parliamentarian committee would be that it can have a bit more of an active role and kind of maybe make things a little bit less partisan so that you can have a more fulsome discussion about these issues uh, without having it framed in quite so toxic language as as we've seen in the past. That'll be very interesting to see. We know that Minister Goodale, uh, Public Safety Minister Goodale, was in the UK about a week and a half ago now looking at uh, their model of, of doing this. Uh, we know that he finds that very interesting and that they've they've tasked someone now with, with leading up the creation of that committee. So seeing kind of what comes from here and where they go and how they shape that uh, is going to be very interesting to watch and, and see in terms of what it says about their prioritization of this and, and where they see it going in the future. What you're saying scares me a little bit because you mentioned a clear directive before, but it doesn't sound like there's any sort of clear directive. Yeah. We're just figuring this out on the fly. Well, I, I don't know. I mean... We we're having discussions now that we, we really haven't had to have before. Metadata wasn't an issue really 15, 20 years ago. And of course, with, with technology evolving as fast as it does now, you do have to have those kind of those new discussions about where does this fit into what our, our spy agencies are able to do and, and what their responsibilities are in terms of protecting Canadians. So I wouldn't say they're making it up as they go along. I'd say it's a bit of a, like a, a, a trial and error. They're trying to Come up with the that is literally making it up as you go along. <laughs> they're, they're they're trying to you know to to do the best that they can with what they know at the time, and that changes over the course of a year, two years, three years. So you do have to kind of constantly look back at these things, see if they're working, and trying to make the most that they can with what they know at the moment. And as these discussions evolve and technology, of course, advances as well, we're going to learn more about what they can do with this data and what needs to be done to protect it. Based on what you just told me, I just have no faith in the government's ability to restrain itself. So as a person who's not doing anything illegal and just wants to be able to go about my business without being spied on, what can I do to protect myself? <laughs> I mean, there, there's not really a lot that you can do. We, I mean, we don't really know a lot about how they choose, who they choose to engage in, in kind of monitoring of and that kind of thing. With the CSC, I mean, is, if you're based here in Canada, I would say it's really not a particular concern or at least a, a large concern for you, given that the majority of the activities happen abroad. So, I mean, again, this, this is a question that I think it, it plays into 
a, a lot of um, broader discussions about spying and we don't know a lot about how they make these decisions. So it's difficult to say exactly, you know, if someone wanted to avoid detection, things like that, what they could do to stop that, because we don't really know how they choose those in the first place. Well, sounds to me like I'm going off the grid. I'll see you suckers after the apocalypse. <laughs> Amanda Connolly, thank you so much for coming in and giving us an education today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Amanda. So after we hung up with Amanda, Sapria and I got into a bit of a back and forth about this one. The one thing that really gets me and that I think anybody who has any family abroad should really be concerned about yeah. is that, like, for example, I don't like I'm first generation. So is my husband. OK, both of our parents are immigrants. I don't really know what a lot of my cousins up in, in India are doing and neither does he. So if one of them is engaged in, in, in sketchy, either Khalistani or a Hindu nationalist on my side uh, activities, how? I, I don't know, but if I'm calling my grandmother and they're calling my grandmother yeah. and that metadata is there that we're somehow linked, that's kind of what worries me the most. And, you know, I'm a completely law-abiding Canadian citizen uh, and, and and I don't want, just because I have some unknown, sketchy relative in India doing stuff to reflect badly on me. And from what I understand, that's exactly what this kind of metadata is supposed to get at. Well, I have the exact same problems. I have family overseas. I've got family in the United States. I've got family in Jamaica. I've got family in England. I've got family in Korea and I have no idea who it is that they're talking to. So if I call up my cousin, I'm just calling up my cousin and she calls up somebody else that may be questionable. That's one degree of separation. Now you've got a way to link me to somebody that could be questionable or up to some weird activities. Yeah, exactly. And and, and I feel more often than not when people, you know, they're, they're trying to tell you like, oh, it's not a big deal. As long as you're law abiding, you're OK. It's to catch the terrorists or, you know, the child pornographers. I think that's way too simplistic of an explanation, to be honest, or not justification, justification r- rather, to be honest, because when we're talking about metadata, it's not that. It's data of data. Well, and, and I think it's that's not where just we simplistic. Get. It's completely untrue that, you know, we're just doing this to catch terrorists and child pornographers and so forth. I mean, there is a, a young lady in Toronto. Her name is Ayan Farah. And because of some information that was shared about her with the Ministry of Transportation, even though she's never committed a crime, never given any indication she would ever commit a crime, she ended up losing her job with U.S. Airways because the Ministry of Transportation revoked her clearance. Why? Because it turns out that there was a, um, a criminal in a car with her father. How they have that information? anybody's guess, but it's information being shared between agencies that we were told wasn't being shared. This is what makes me tighten my tinfoil hat, Andre. (laughs) Unfortunately, I mean, it's out there. There's somebody else I know that wasn't able to go to the United States to be with her partner because she's, I guess, a soldier in the Black Lives Matter movement up here in Toronto. And, you know, her partner is a co-founder for the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. And she just went to go to the U.S. with her partner, who's very, very pregnant. And unfortunately, she wasn't able to get in. They didn't tell her why. There was nothing that she actually did. She's never committed a crime. Okay, so we're not even talking about being involved in an illegal organization. Now we're just talking about being an advocate for... And because of being involved in an organization that the FBI is now monitoring, unfortunately, she's not able to get a pass into the States. So I have no faith whatsoever that when we're told that this is just information we're sharing among large countries just to make sure that we're keeping each other safe, just to make sure that we're reducing the threats of cyber attacks, just to make sure that any terrorist threats are quashed before they materialize. I get that all that may be true, but I don't believe that that's where they're limiting their focus. That's our show for this week. If you'd like to continue the conversation on social media, and we love it when you do, check us out on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Canada Land Commons. It's the first result you'll find. Big ups to our producer, Kevin Sexton, and all that great music you heard was by Nathan Burley. Check us out on CanadaLandShow.com, where you can also find our newsletter, Not Sorry. 
If you want to email Andre, you can email him at Andre at CanadaLandShow.com. And if you have emails for me, email Andre and he'll forward them along. <laughs> Just don't send me Supriya's hate mail, please. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please support us. That's Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. CanadaLand Shortcuts comes out this Thursday. And the next episode of CanadaLand Comments comes out on Tuesday. Until then, protect your neck. <laughs> the government has an Andre Domi's file. It's yeah, <laughs> just, just like exactly. Every time I say something provocative, they're like, "Uh huh." So what, what we got today? Or they're like, "The reality is that they're like he just watched Must Love Dogs for the third time <laughs> in a row." <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over a hundred episodes and counting. And our plan, well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the comments team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.